Welcome back to Mrs. Janeski's AP Government Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be looking at two of your required court cases for the AP Government exam. You know that you're going to have to know 14 Supreme Court cases. And the two I'm going to be discussing in today's episode are McCulloch versus Maryland and Marbury versus Madison. So if you're not scared off by the Supremacy Clause and you enjoy a little judicial review, Let's do this. Okay, so first we're going to get the facts of McCulloch versus Maryland out. Um, in 1816, Congress chartered the Second Bank of the U.S. And considering it's called the Bank of the United States, you can figure out that this is a federal bank. And this federal bank attempted to actually establish branches in several of the states. And one of those states was Maryland. So the Maryland legislature was not happy about this and their legislature passed a law saying that any bank in Maryland, which was not officially chartered by the state of Maryland, would be subject to a yearly tax. And the cashier of the Baltimore branch of the National Bank could see the injustice in this idea and in this taxation and just refuse to pay. Well, the case goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, and this is where we need to talk about the constitutional principle in question. Maryland argued that the establishment of the National Bank was unconstitutional because nowhere in Article 1, Section 8, where you have the enumerated powers of the legislature, did it say that they had the power to create a bank? And on that count, they weren't wrong. It doesn't say anything about that. But McCulloch's lawyers argued that the bank was constitutional on account of the Necessary and Proper Clause, which was explicitly stated in Article 1, Section 8, the Enumerated Powers. And it says this in that section. Congress shall have the power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. So what they're saying is Congress is given explicit powers, uh, like the power to tax, to declare war, uh, regulate interstate commerce, and the necessary and proper clause gives Congress the power to create other laws which aren't explicitly named in Article 1, Section 8, but they need them in order they so they could carry out their explicit powers. And you know that the powers that are not enumerated are also referred to as implied powers. They're not named. And the decision was unanimous in favor of McCulloch. Chief Justice Marshall argued that the bank was in fact constitutional on account of the Necessary and Proper Clause. And he said, we think that the sound construction of the Constitution must allow to the national legislature the discretion with respect to the means by which the powers it confers are to be carried into execution which will enable the body to perform the high duties assigned to it in the manner most beneficial to the people. 
Let the end be legitimate. Let it be within the scope of the Constitution and all means which are appropriate, which are plainly adapted to that end, which are not prohibited but consist with the letter in the spirit of the Constitution, are constitutional. So what he's saying is, unless it specifically says that the power is not allowed, then the law is going to uphold the spirit of the Constitution, which states, ultimately, the federal government is supreme. So national laws are superior over state laws when the two are face-to-face. And how Marshall ends up saying this is, granted to Congress are not given by the, the power granted to Congress are not given by the people of a single state. They are given by the people of the U.S., the United States, to a government whose laws made in pursuance of the Constitution are declared to be supreme. Consequently, the people of the single state cannot confer sovereignty, which will extend over them. And this means that state law, if it conflicts with federal law, the federal law wins. So, okay, this is on your AP exam. Why? What's so important about this case? Well, remember when we discussed federalism, this idea of shared power, federal government and the states. This case definitely tips the balance of power towards the federal government. The federal government will always, if laws conflict, the federal government will always come out ahead. And later, this will be a precedent in which other courts are going to decide to uphold federal supremacy. Now you'll have later court cases that we talked about. Um, uh, U.S. v. Lopez um, that are going to start flipping the balance more toward the states. But this is very important because we're looking at, in that balance, McCulloch versus Maryland deciding that the federal government should always be the victor when it comes to conflicting laws. And looking at our second case, Marbury versus Madison, this is kind of a complicated case with a lot of different facts that really boils down to two words, judicial review. And I'm going to go ahead and get into the facts of the case. Remember when we were just a baby nation, we have two emerging political parties. And those two parties are the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans. And as you remember from the beginning of the year and from your U.S. history classes, they fought bitterly about almost every issue. How to run the country, the two sides had very different visions. Well, in the presidential election of 1800, John Adams, of course, following George Washington, he becomes the second president and after one term loses to Thomas Jefferson. Adams is a Federalist. 
Jefferson is a Democratic Republican. It was a bitter election, mud slinging from both sides. And as Adams has got one foot out the door, he and the Federalists had put together an idea of packing the courts as much as they could before he left office with Federalist judges. Um, the Congress was Federalist dominated and a whole bunch of Federalist judges would now ensure that Federalist policies would continue forward even though a Democratic Republican was now president. So in his last days, Adams packs the federal judiciary full of Federalist judges. Um, this is definitely going to cause issues for Jefferson's policy agenda during his term. So Adams is signing commissions for these judges right up until the moment he leaves office. Most of them were delivered, but a few of them were not. So when Jefferson took office, he ordered his Secretary of State to leave those undelivered commissions undelivered. So, of course, anybody whose name is on those commissions and who is looking forward to the job is now angry. And one of the angry men was a man by the name of William Marbury. And he was one of the judges appointed but he never got his commission delivered. So he sued Madison and the Supreme Court to get his commission. Um, and in doing so, he did this using what's known as a writ of mandamus, which is a court order forcing the institution to do what it is supposed to be doing. It's basically an official order to do what you are legally required to do. So Marbury wanted the court to issue a writ of mandamus in order for Madison to deliver the commission. Okay, so now let's talk about the constitutional principle for this case. So with Marbury versus Madison, what I'm going to say now might not sound really all that important, but roll with it because there are jurisdiction clauses in Article 3 of the Constitution. So Article 3, which you'll remember is not exactly a large article in the Constitution. It's about the judicial branch. They did not put much into Article 3 about the powers of the judicial branch and the scope and power had been debated even prior to the Constitution being written. What is written is that it has the power. It says that they can hear both cases of appellate and original jurisdiction. Um, original jurisdiction means the court has the power to hear certain cases for the first time. Appellate is when you hear appeals from a lower court in other cases. Um, just 
you've heard these terms before, appellate, original, but what you really need to understand is that there's, at this point, really no test of how the Supreme Court can use its powers. So there really weren't many things where original jurisdiction played into the Supreme Court. So it then goes on to say cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers, consuls, and those in which a state shall be a party. It's a a state and another state or in a suit. So that's when original jurisdiction comes into play. So if the Supreme Court only has original jurisdiction in cases involving states or foreign ambassadors or consul, so as the case comes before John Marshall as, as Supreme Court Justice, he separates this into really three questions that have to get answered in their decision. Did Marbury have the legal right to his commission? And then two, if he did, is the court-ordered writ of mandamus the proper legal means to get that delivered? And three, if yes to that, does the court have the authority to grant the writ? So here's what the court decided. When it comes to the three questions, to number one, did Marbury have the legal right to his commission? The answer was, yeah. They said yes. Uh, Congress established the new courts and judgeships, and the president did his constitutional duty to actually appoint judges, which is what the president is allowed to do during their time in office. And the fact that some were undelivered was a technicality. It could be kind of seen as a petty reason um, to not give somebody their job. But everything was legal with regards to actually giving the commission. So if this is legal, if if Marbury was legally entitled to the commission, then the answer to the second question is, the writ of mandamus, the legal means to get it, yes, and at this point, Marbury's feeling pretty good, like, okay, everything... So far, the court seems to be understanding where he's going and he's going to get justice. But when the third question comes about, um, this is when Marbury is going to be facing a bit of a disappointment. The answer to the third question, that is what makes this case so important, is Does the court have the authority to grant the writ of mandamus? And John Marshall's answer to this question was no. So what's interesting is when we were talking about Article 3, it says nothing about the court issuing writs of mandamus. So... Why did Marbury think the court could do that? Well, he thought so because the Judiciary Act of 1789, which in addition to establishing all the lower federal courts, also said in Article 13 that the Supreme Court 
has authority to issue writ of mandamus in original jurisdiction cases. That's a law, so Marbury's case is being heard before the Supreme Court for the first time, and that means within original jurisdiction, um, according to the Judiciary Act, the court has the authority to issue the writ. But Marshall ended up saying that with this, it conflicted with Article 3 of the Constitution because the original jurisdiction over cases involving states and ambassadors and Marbury and Madison don't fall into those categories. So he sees a conflict between Article 13 and that. Marbury is a judge. Madison's a cabinet secretary. So while the writ would be legal under the Judicial Act, the Judiciary Act, because it is in essence, it expanded the scope of the court's original jurisdiction, John Marshall said that's not what the Constitution says about the court's authority. And therefore, Article 13 of the Judiciary Act is unconstitutional. Therefore, null and void. So ultimately, Marbury did not get his commission. And that brings us to why this whole case is a big deal. When Marshall declared the law unconstitutional, he essentially gave the Supreme Court the power of judicial review. Now, if you remember us talking about Federalist 78 um, and Hamilton, although he didn't explicitly call it judicial review, he discussed this, um, that the judicial branch should be the final interpreter of the Constitution and be able to strike down any law that is unconstitutional. So there we have it. Ultimately, in Marshall's decision of saying that he's able to declare something null and void, that gives us the power of judicial review that is used as precedent in this case, Marbury versus Madison. So those are two of our court cases, two down, 12 to go. Thank you guys so much for listening and keep up the good work.